This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. time ago it feels like it was two years ago and those two years have been nothing but screaming (laughs) it's been a lot of screaming here in philadelphia welcome to overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and And for the last week the city of brotherly love has been the city of love and the eagles because eagles philadelphia eagles won the super bowl we've been tweeting about eagles wait i don't know what you i don't know what you mean i don't know who did that so the the Twitter account tweeted about Eagles. Yeah, I hear our Twitter account is a big fan of Eagles. I don't have anything else to say about this except that I was not expecting to be this invested in this game of American football. Yeah, and and I think the thing to think about with how much the city has been invested in in this particular game of American football, i.e. the Super Bowl, is it's one of those things where like when no one experiences something for 50 years and that becomes like a thing you pass down to your kids or that your dad passed down to you or whoever. It's like when you have a when you have some caffeine after being off caffeine for like a year. That's Except exactly you haven't had caffeine like. in like fifty years. Yeah, that's exactly someone told what it's you like. that caffeine existed. Yeah, because like we never had it before. 52 years ago. Yeah, we and never they've had told it. you how great it was, and you've seen other people enjoy it, and you figure it must be great. And, and also, then finally, <laughs> also Tom Brady's been drinking a lot of caffeine, and that guy, needs to Thomas stop Brady, that guy. yeah, he's had a lot of caffeine, and so we, the Philadelphia Eagles, decided to have caffeine for the first time, and we did, we did not handle it great. <laughs> no, we. Did but anyway, not. I've had fun. I I do wish it was about a less. Terrible sport. Oh yes, a less fraught enterprise. I wish, this, I wish this cool sport that had everybody from from old folks to little kids who I've passed in the street yelling about eagles and spelling the word eagles. Yeah, I wish. It I didn't... wish this. I wish this thing that brought the city together did not like give men lasting brain damage. Yeah. Do you want That's to talk about pretty books much now? what I have to say? Yeah, I guess every week we talk about. Well, every week where the Philadelphia Eagles don't win the Super Bowl, <laughs> we talk about books yeah. mostly. And every week, one of us reads a book and then tells the other one about it. And the other one sits there and says like smart stuff usually we or try. funny stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this week I read the book, and it was Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, mm-hmm. and that's. That's where you take is that, it. Oh, is that all you know? <laughs> yep, I'm handing the baton off to you. No, I, I, I did some research about Adiche, but I want you to talk because I suspect I'm going to be talking a lot oh, for the uh, back you, part you of this episode. Save those golden cords. Yeah, I want right? to save this, the instrument. I just got it back from that cold that I had for a week and a half. So. Oh, sure. So uh, Adiche was born in Nigeria in 1977. She currently splits her time between Nigeria. And I believe, like, outside Baltimore, like in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, she That's in the United States. Yes, Baltimore, Maryland, United States, yes. Um, she originally studied medicine and pharmacy at the University of Nigeria before transferring to Philadelphia's own Drexel University at the age Woo! of 19. Um, go she, Eagles. <laughs> go Eagles. Uh, I think her sister... Ended up becoming a doctor, and there's a quote from an interview uh, where Adiche says uh, of her parents, They thought I was slightly strange, but my parents are quite lovely. They're progressive. Still, it is a standing joke in my family that I say to them, The only reason you supported me is because my sister was already a doctor. If not, I think they would have said, Nobody leaves medical school, and especially not for reasons such as, quote, I'm not happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so she came over to the States, and then... Uh, studied communications political science at drexel went on to eastern connecticut state and then john hopkins and yale she's been a fellow at princeton and harvard 
she started publishing poems in uh, I think 1998. What, what you mean? You mean you do mean Johns Hopkins, right? Oh, did I say John Hopkins? You said John Hopkins University, which I feel like is an unaccredited school that's always trying to catch people. Well, my notes also corrected to John Hopkins, and I don't know. That's like a brewery that I'm into, I guess. That is the that is their sports team, actually. Sure. The Johns Hopkins Hopkins. Sure. Uh, her first novel, Purple Hibiscus, was published in 2003, and she followed it up with Half of a Yellow Sun in 2006 which uh, was very well received. Uh, it's a Still waiting for that other half, though. Come on. Come on. Uh, it's actually <laughs> about the Nigerian Civil War, which was 1967-1970. Sure, so that's a cool thing for me to tell I know. you about. <laughs> I just needed to drag you for that in real mm-hmm. time. Sure. Um, what's cool about that, uh, about that book and, and its reception, is that you know she was writing about this uh integral part of her country's history from like the about like her father's generation and she was worried about how it was received her father really liked the book and also uh another uh writer she idolized chinua achebe uh whom you read for the podcast andrew yeah he also really liked the book um she tells a story in another interview where like an his agent called her and like gave her his praise where he said, we do not usually associate wisdom with beginners, but here is a new writer endowed with the gift of ancient storytellers. To she which... does name drop things fall apart like three or four times in the book. So. Yes. Well, yeah, he's a very important uh, writer from Nigeria. Yes. Um, anyway, finish your anecdote. Just that she got that like one sentence review of her book from a legend and started crying. <laughs> I, can t- I can't imagine uh, having any other reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is also so th- then this book Americana um, was published in 2013 in between those two books she was uh, named one of the MacArthur Genius Fellows and leading up to this book she was also she became pretty well known outside of the literary world for a TED talk she gave called We Should All Be Feminists um, which was then sampled in the Beyonce song Flawless and she has said that she take kind of takes issue with the fact that some interviewers will like lead with a question that's like, "What's it like to like have people know you because of Beyonce?" <laughs> She's like, "That's not cool." What is that like? Um, <laughs> and uh, this Beyonce song, which I went back to to confirm this, Wikipedia calls it Andrew a quote trap influenced song with a dirty groove and a clattering beat. I do like a dirty groove. So if you're if you're looking for a dirty groove, check out Flawless by Beyonce. Beyonce also gets name dropped in this book, but it's uh, uh, she says we all love Bay, but how about she show us just once what her hair looks like when it grows from her scalp? Ooh, there's a lot about black hair in this book, which oh, I was sure. into. Yeah, um, and there's another TED talk that she gave called "Danger of a Single Story." Uh, and so she's kind of got these parallel or, or just different schools of thought that she's interested in. She's become kind of pop culture notorious for her or, or well known uh, for her work on feminism. But she's also very interested in uh, all sorts of issues, which she said. And one of them is just uh, this idea of like a single dominant cultural narrative. So this quote that she has is now i loved these american and british books i read they stirred my imagination they opened up new worlds for me but the unintended consequence was that i did not know that people like me could exist in literature um she also said that she had a roommate who had like a single story of africa so if you came from africa it meant that you came from like catastrophe and that the only thing you could feel about a person for from africa was pity um so she kind of uh Adiche kind of pushes back against this idea that like there's a single narrative that could sum up a culture or a person, even like an individual person, um, which is pretty cool. So yeah, and this in this book she she talks about because the the book is primarily about two different people who both uh, immigrate from Nigeria to the United States and to uh, Britain respectively, okay. and it's about it's about a kind of African immigrant who is quote uh, raised well fed and watered but mired in dissatisfaction. Mm. And that they're not um, refugees so much as they are um, fleeing from, quote, the oppressive lethargy of choicelessness. Huh. Okay. That's kind of the the 
immigrant experience is summing up is like is is so many people are going to assume that you're you're coming here to escape some kind of hardship and like what if you were just coming because, because you, you want, want to experience something different <laughs> yeah. or if you just like want different opportunities or if you spend all your life like consuming this western pop culture and and then this literature that does not have you represented in it and you just want to go to this place where this stuff came from and see what it was like like what if you just wanted to do that what if it wasn't about like just not getting killed <laughs> yeah hmm interesting hmm. interesting people yeah. are people can be multitudes uh and her most recent book is a book of essays entitled dear Ijewele. Um, or a feminist manifesto in 15 suggestions, which is about like, it's a letter framed as a letter to a friend or an email that she wrote to a friend uh, that turned into a series of suggestions for raising uh, a young girl in the 21st century. Um, You know, things like being careful with language and avoiding like gendered toys or not treating marriage as an achievement or rejecting the pursuit of likability above all else. Um, She's a very interesting thinker you know one of the cool things about this show is then like i just get to go watch a bunch of youtube videos where people say smart stuff <laughs> like all of her <laughs> interviews are really fascinating because mm-hmm. um she can bounce between topics pretty easily uh without it becoming confusing and, and she clearly has very smart things to say about a bunch of stuff um this book uh, that is definitely reflected in in this book. Though so it was it was written in it was interesting because it's written in 2013, which is before our current like sure it's before, moment. like before Trump, before Brexit, before this like partially like xenophobic immigration fueled whiplash thing that we are exper- experiencing in our current moment but you can 100% see the the roots of that like this this book deals with um the election of Obama oh sure in in a few different ways and it's all like all this all the stuff that has curdled into the moment that we're living in right now was like ignored by white people after Obama got elected but Still completely there and very well articulated by her in this book. So there, there's there's a lot of stuff to to talk about. But there's when talking about being an immigrant in America and in Britain right now, like just there's a, there's a lot to a lot to think about. A lot to think about. Well, there's let's a lot to think about. Take a quick break and we'll come back and think about it. Let's think about it. Andrew, I'm hungry. I'm not, but you should eat. What do you want? I think I want some cereal. <laughs> God. Well, that's l- luckily for you, Overdue this week is supported by Cereal Box. Now, that's not cereal like the food that you want, but it's cereal like a story that's told in several different sections over a over a certain interval of time. Tell me you more. Know, like a cereal. Um, so Serial Box has been called the HBO of reading by National Public Radio. They bring you gripping stories written by best-selling and award-winning teams of writers, like in a TV show writer's room, the only place where best-selling and award-winning writing can come from. That's true. <laughs> uh, new episodes are released every week, and you can read or listen to all serials at no extra cost. So in the in their app, they let you switch between listening like a podcast, like you're listening to right now, and reading like you would read a book. Just with one single click. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty um, cool. That's pretty cool. Overdue listeners can get a discount on any first season of a Serial Box series. They should just head to SerialBox.com, enter the promo code OVERDUE18. That's S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com, and the code is OVERDUE18. That's OVERDUE18. Check it out. Andrew, I would love to learn more about this book. And maybe you okay. in the process, but mostly the book. Yeah, I mean, it's been almost 300 episodes. I think you and I know each other pretty well already. And then, then there was like six or seven years of being, being friends on top of that. So we're I'm good with the amount I know about you. Well, I always like to have room to grow. Teach me something about oh, the book and yourself. <laughs> okay. So Americana is about a lot of... A lot of things. It is 
on its surface, it's a story about uh, two people, uh, Ifemelu and um, Obinze, okay. who are um, people from Nigeria who, like I mentioned before the break, uh, moved to uh, Ifemelu moves to the United States and Obinze moves to Britain. And they both have they have very different um, immigrant experiences and then they move back to Nigeria and they were, you know, they're, they're romantically involved in their teens and they don't ever quite stop thinking about each other. And then they end up kind of back together at the end, even though Obinze is is married and has a kid. It's all like it's not a big deal. It's fine. But um, <laughs> OK, I mean, it's their love story, though, is it? Well, not? So like in, in addition, the book is their love story. But the way more interesting part of the book is about being an immigrant in the United States and in Britain and also just being a person in Nigeria, like both, both living there and also going somewhere else and then coming back. Okay. Um, it's about, it's, it's about race. Um, but that's, that's not quite like capturing everything. It's, it's about the fine distinctions between how different like countries and cultures treat race. It's about how different races treat race in different places it's about how different, like, how people in different economic strata treat race. It's about how people with different political points of view treat race. So where do it's you want to start? Just like the practical maybe. realities. Like, listen, man, I don't know. It's everywhere. It's so. It's a big book. It's so big. How does the book and start? The book. I mean, the book. The book starts in in Nigeria with. Um, well, no, the book. The book starts with Ifemlu in america she's been there for like 15 years and she's made the decision to move back to nigeria okay is there like why does she have a good reason yet not really except a kind of a feeling of not quite belonging in a in america like she's she's been in america for a long time she's been very successful there actually but she is not um she's kind of willfully not fully assimilated. Like a lot of people who move to America, she tells us like pick up an American accent. So you don't, so you don't get telemarketers telling you, you sound incomprehensible mm. and, and you, yeah, but, but she has never quite done that. And there's also this guy, Obinze, who she is, who she had cut off contact with many years ago, but has recently reestablished contact with. And she just kind of is, is thinking about, Okay. So she's leaving behind a like a teaching fellowship at Princeton and this blog that's been very successful. The book is it, it feels like it's mostly taking place like up till maybe like 2010 or 2011. Okay. Um like that that heyday of blogging where if you were doing it at the exact right moment it was a get, career. <laughs> yeah, you could get like advertising money and speakers fees and all kinds of stuff. Okay. Um yeah, so that's how it that's how it starts. And then from there we go back in time to um Ifemelu and Obinze in Nigeria and they're like growing up and their families and and they're getting together and then um and then like we're kind who of, are they as teens in Nigeria? Like how is that depicted? They are, and again, we we talked about this a little bit before the break. Like they they do fine. Um, the situation in Nigeria is not super stable. Like there are some there there are some. I don't know that it's quite coups that take place, but there are like there are a bunch of changes in government that keep happening. Like the and the governments that exist can't consistently provide utilities like electricity to the the people for you know consistently or for extended amounts of time but they don't like they don't they have what they they have everything they need they just are immersed in like especially obinze reads a lot of american books and going to america is just a thing that he has decided he is going to do i think i want to maybe if we talk about how the book is structured first that'll yeah, give us a that. better that would help give us a better i was honestly surprised anchor. about the blog the blog post being part of the structure i did not know that at all so yeah help me with the structure okay. a little bit so we we learned that ifemlu is an american is, is a an immigrant in america from nigeria and that she's going back there and she doesn't like fully understand why and she still is is 
having kind of these doubts and regrets about, oh, I was I was dating somebody. We weren't like the relationship wasn't amazing, but it it was pretty good. And I had a job and I had this blog and I had my life and I'm just blowing this all up to go back to Nigeria for a reason which I can't even clearly articulate to myself. And then from there, we go back in time to Ifemelu's childhood in Nigeria. And from there, we kind of move steadily. Like we every once in a while get a flashback to the present, which is, you know, where the book starts and where the book ends. But um, but it's, it, it's mostly chronological from mostly, the first jump back. Yeah, chronological from childhood and then also switching between the perspectives of Ifemelu and of Obinze. Oh, OK. And uh, Ifemelu gets more time and I think is probably the the character we'll end up talking about a little bit more. But um, sure. Obinze just has a has a different immigrant experience in Britain that we also learn about. And then they they come back together and they they kind of talk about their experiences but and how their experiences not even how their experiences change them, but they just they are both dealing with being back home after being abroad and what that is. Yeah, like. we've seen that in some of the other uh, novels about immigrant experiences that we've talked about on the show because we did like Satanic Verses a couple weeks ago. We did uh, White Teeth, well, maybe over a year ago. But that kind of like you you go somewhere else you are not from that place, but then you go back to where you're from and you're no longer from And you're not there from anymore. that place anymore. Yeah, either, sure. Either, right. Um, but so, okay, so is there anything else about the structure? You said she's got this blog. Yeah, so in Ifemelu's sections, you get these these sections of a blog that she writes that's, that's about, I mean, it's about race. It's about being a non-American black in America. And in a lot of, in a lot of places in the book that's it's it's telling you more about how Ifemlu thinks and how she processes these things that happen to her and makes them suitable for like consumption by an audience but also I think these are places where Adiche is just writing and telling you stuff that you need to know about about what about like privilege about black hair about non-American blacks versus african-americans about like the different color about like different skin tones and how they mean different things pretty much everywhere you are but you know even even though not every country has america's particular horrible past (laughs) like race wise yeah like a very convoluted and complicated way to put that but it's still like even even in her childhood there's like a girl in their class who is half cast or is it cased the cast 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 yeah i thought it was cast um but is is biracial basically and as a result her skin is a little bit lighter than most of her classmates and coincidentally she is she is seen as the most attractive and most like desirable Mm. girl in their in their class so it's yeah It's, it's not unique to America, but it is different in America. A little is what bit, she's yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. Can I? This might be a, a tangential question, but as a blog, what can you categorize? What type of blog it feels like, Andrew? Like, is it a live journal? It, it's a it's a late. What is the voice of it? Is it very academic or is it very I mean, she, like she, now she she mentions WordPress, so uh, we okay. we know that it's running on a WordPress platform, <laughs> How, powered by WordPress. Is, okay, which good. is a very specific like mid two thousands vibe, <laughs> like okay, late George W. Bush era <laughs> web, <laughs> like early web two deal it has comments, it has the whole thing. Okay, but <laughs> but is her voice like? Is it very informal? It's, it is not. It's not academic because okay. she does. She dates an academic a little bit later, and she talks about not quite feeling, um, like not quite feeling comfortable, or like she fits in with people who'd see things like academically and sort of sterilely. Yeah, sure, um, I get that. It's it's very. Um, it's kind of explainery, and th- and that's one of the things w- w- I mentioned that like it's hard for me as a white dude to talk about this book because I feel like I'm being roasted, which is fine. Like she doesn't make me feel judged, <laughs> but I am like my reaction to this book is going to be some like one oh one like 
race relations in America level. Like, oh, wow. She says a lot of really interesting things about about black hair and like relaxers and the way that your hairstyle is is interpreted by different employers and by the culture at large. And she says she writes all this stuff about Michelle Obama and how like. Imagine if Michelle Obama got tired of all the heat and decided to go natural and appeared on TV with lots of woolly hair or tight spirally curls. There's no knowing what her texture will be. It is not unusual for a black woman to have three different textures on her head. She would totally rock the poor. She would totally rock. But poor Obama would certainly lose the independent vote and even the undecided Democratic vote. Mm. Like that's the kind of like. I know that that hair has a lot of different connotations depending on how it looks and the like then the the way that black hair just naturally looks in america like there's a lot of i don't know there's a lot of specific racism tied up in that like it does need to be treated differently from from white people hair and a lot of people just don't understand that but like that's not that's not a new observation. And that's no, not even it's not. So that's not even something I knew nothing about before. She just says a lot in this book about like specifically about how she had internalized all that stuff and how it took her a lot of time to fall in love with her own natural hair and even to talk to people to other people about hair. And it's hard for me to to tell you about it and to tell listeners about it because there's just so many little things like peppered throughout the book, like here and there about like observations about it. There's but. not like a chapter about it is what you're saying. No, like there, there are, you know, there's, there are a couple of blog posts about it. There is a chapter that talks uh, more extensively about the process of getting your hair relaxed and straightened and how it like totally damages your scalp and is really horrible, but you do it because you're trying to go on job interviews and get a job and, and, like if your hair is is natural, you know the people who would give you a job if your hair was straight. I don't know. There are people who are going to treat you differently, and that's not a new observation or an interesting observation, no, no, or anything. It's just it's just the thing the book spends a lot of time on. And I think that if you if you were the kind of person who had never thought about this before, you would find a lot really enlightening and interesting. And I found a lot of stuff in the book really enlightening and illuminating and interesting, even though you also, have already thought about it. Even yeah, though I've sort of encountered it. Well, and know. it's I'm thinking about it, too. Like, so I've got this quote from her from an NPR interview where she says, I like to say that this is a novel about love and race and about hair. In particular, I want to talk about natural black hair and how it's not just hair. I mean, I'm interested in hair in sort of a very aesthetic way, the beauty of hair, but also in a political way, what it says, what it means, which is what you've gotten to. And that reminded me of there's a story I read and actually an interview on The Cut recently about the upcoming Black Panther film and how they uh, like the entire cast had like natural black hair except for like oh, yeah. some folks oh, yeah, who yeah. had wigs and they like had they designed the movie with that in mind and and what it meant for different characters and and the different like punk movements that they were drawing from yeah um, and i mean there's a lot and there's a lot in this book about not not about wigs but about extensions and and yeah. the different kinds of fake hair that that um that black people often use to to um accentuate their own styles or like enhance their own styles and it's just a thing that like in some quote-unquote mainstream conversations whatever that word means anymore like this is just not part of that and i think it, it is kind of this is just cool i don't know i don't have much more to say like i'm with you it's like what do you say other than just like here's what this woman who has thought a lot about it and it had some good insights on it said it's like i don't I don't have to think about this stuff. Yeah, that's often. true. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's what privilege is. And then the book spends like, there's, there's another blog post specifically about, about privilege and, and what it looks like. And, you know, I think that here in 2018, our discussions about privilege are moving in the right direction. I think generally sure. just in terms of like informing people what it is, what it is and like getting them to consider it. But, back here in 2013 like i you, you tried to tell 2013 andrew about privilege like he wouldn't really he'd be like oh yeah i didn't have any i didn't have a lot of money growing up like i yeah didn't, i didn't have all this where'd all this white privilege stuff come from like blah 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 but she like 
she talks about how privilege is it is always relative to something. And so she asks mm. you, the reader in this blog post, like take whatever condition you think puts you at a disadvantage relative to like the haves in society and say, okay, take exactly that. But instead of being white, you're black. Mm. And that's what privilege is. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. And that, that, that is definitely different five years ago than it is now. But I, I think, Books like this have probably done part of that work, and and she certainly, as an independent speaker, has done a lot of that work. Um, what is different between Ifemlu's experience and Obinze's experience? So Obinze goes to like he has he tried you know he wants to go to America because he's fascinated with American pop culture and literature, and he's been he's been watching it and and absorbing it like his entire life, but he can't get a visa to go. For okay. whatever reason, like he just he just can't. Um, and so what ends up happening is his mother goes to Britain to teach and he gets like a temporary six month visa to go with her as her teaching assistant. And she says and, and this has been she she is not one to break rules, but it's been so long and she knows that he is like miserable about it. And so she says, you know, let's let's get you over there. And I know then you will find out a way to to make it more permanent and then to get to America through there. OK. And so what happens is he he lives in Britain for a while, but he is working under different names. He's like there. There are these. um there are people who will give you their work permit or their passport or whatever. So you can go and get a job. And then they demand like, Oh, pay me 35, 40% of everything you make. And I won't, you know, I won't tell anybody. Hmm. And for black people, it's like a lot. Most white people are just going to assume that you look the same as all other black people. And so the system kind of works that way. And so he is, working in that situation and then he is also paying some other shady characters to hook him up with somebody in the country who is willing to um do a basically a green card marriage for the money oh and so he he is doing that with like the sort of damocles of deportation hanging over his head sure and then also in the background you have the simmering stuff that eventually manifests in the form of brexit which is this this nativist like anti-immigrant like oh they're all coming over and and changing our society and taking our jobs and blah 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 like not to say that that's exclusive to to britain but no Obviously, you can draw a straight line between like the pr- political, the the rhetoric of politicians that you read in this book, to Brexit and everything that that and the UK when, is dealing with. How right old now. is he when that is like hanging over his head? Age and time are sort of fluid. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But, Has he been over there a while, or is that like in the first? No, I think like years? early, like early twenties. It's, it's okay. been like three okay. or four years, probably. Okay, that, that he's there. And so he's, you know, he's he's made a life and he has some friends, but he's always kind of looking over his shoulder. And he, I saw you look over your shoulder on your video feed, but podcasts are an audio medium and so our listeners won't. Literally. I, just, I, I appreciate that you did that thing just for me is what I'm saying. Yeah, that was just for you. So he's looking, he's always looking over his shoulder metaphorically and sometimes literally. Gosh, you're doing it again. And then, like, as he, like, if it had been 10 or 15 minutes later, he would have been married and would have gotten a stay. Ooh. But he tries to get married to someone and partially because he told the person whose, like, work permit he was using that he was not going to give them more money. Hmm. Um, like that guy, like he called Obinze's Obinze tried to call his oh. bluff and it turned out not to be a bluff. And he like called the authorities. And so Obinze gets deported, which is in itself a super dehumanizing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because even like you're on that plane back and even the Nigerian flight attendant is saying, you don't get to leave the plane with everybody else. You have to wait for the agent. And it's this whole, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And um, so he gets kind of, he gets sent back against his will. And then 
builds a new life in this country that he hasn't lived in for like five or six years. Okay. So when she's going back there, she knows he's there or no? She knows he's there. She so what happens to um to Ifemalu is she also like she has a student visa, but you can't work with a student visa. Okay. So she is doing a sort of similar thing where she has somebody's like work permit and she's working under another name and she's trying and trying and trying and trying, trying to find jobs, but she won't get hired for whatever reason. Like partly it's because she has an accent. Partly it's because she's black. Like partly it's because of her hair. Like it's like nobody who is she's interviewing with in the book ever gives her a reason. But like, obviously that's the reason because that's, yeah. you know, that's just, that's what racism in America is. And that's a lot of what the book is about. But, um, so she is, she is trying to do that for her first few months in the country. She's in Philadelphia and she loves Philadelphia. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. Though the Eagles never come up in the book, hmm. which I feel like is a real oversight. Yeah. Now that the Eagles turned out to be a football team that could win the Super Bowl. She was so prescient about some of all these these other issues she's writing about. Right, but she didn't predict the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, which makes me, frankly, it throws the whole book into She didn't even try. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they even went to the Super Bowl in the in the frame of time where she was here. Where Femlu was, and she doesn't talk about it at all. Like How, it's just, it's ugh. really disappointing, honestly. So she's in Philadelphia. She's eating cheesesteaks, hanging out. She's eating, eating cheesesteaks. I'm probably <laughs> being know. confused by the 76ers mascot, that horrible bunny guy that it was. He's gone. Don't worry about him. No, but. <laughs> <laughs> um. And she's trying to get a job, and she just, and she just can't. And so there's, there was this guy that she interviewed with who. He just he just needs a woman to help him relax. Ah, ah! And the noise you're making is the right noise to be making because she she eventually like she's with these these horrible roommates who are I don't know one of them has a bad dog like you live with a bunch of people once and somebody like a friend came over and they had their dog and you just had to live with the weird dog for a while that happens sometimes I think that's a that's a specific living with a bunch of random people yeah experience is like sometimes people will have a rogue pet that you have to deal with who you hate again it's in my head i'm seeing you know when you look out your back window in a city and you just see all the like cable wires come out of a box uh-huh. and like none of yep. it makes sense yep like the house with multiple roommates is that cable box and you don't know where all the wires go and you, you don't, don't know, know why they they're go. connected to other wires uh-huh you and just know that for it to short and cause a fire you just probably shouldn't touch it <laughs> Because you might screw it up. Is the thing. <laughs> um, so she's got bad roommates. So she's got bad roommates. She's desperate for money. So she eventually goes and like and and lays in bed with this guy, and he mm. like touches her, and she's it's it's this whole thing where her body kind of betrays her by involuntarily becoming aroused and. She is so ashamed and feels like such a failure as an immigrant. Like she is just she is Oh yeah. She has failed to succeed in, in America and she can't bear to tell Obinze about it. And like not being able to tell him about it in the short term become like it builds up and becomes this thing. And then eventually like it becomes that she can't explain why she just totally cut off the communication for months. And then it just, it, that's just it. And then there's just no communication. Sure. Yeah. And I I don't know if you've ever firsthand had that experience, but it does feel like if you've ever had an argument with somebody over something and then like, you come to realize that the argument was stupid, but you're, you won't like just have the conversation about it. And then that becomes its own thing. And then you eventually forget even why you're not talking, but you just aren't anymore. Like that feels pretty, pretty. I've just been nodding the whole time you were talking (laughs) and, and just thinking about how easy it is for like a, even, even a non-conversation to become a wall or barrier 
that prevents future conversation. Like, because I didn't talk to you about that thing, now we can never talk again. Or like at our, at our five-year college reunion, which at this point was four and a half years ago. Oh, gosh. Um, like, I had, I had a couple of chats with people who I was friendly with in college who I hadn't really talked with since. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, we should, we should chat a little bit more. And then you get like eight months out from that without messaging them again and you're like man i feel bad about this i would like to message them but you can't like that's kind of weird to yeah. do that and so it just like becomes a self-fulfilling thing and and um, so now like what you said earlier about um now think about this issue that you're having but you are a person of color and you're an immigrant in a precarious situation like the stakes for her for this to have gone wrong with an important person in her life seem very high like that stinks yeah like that the the person with whom this was supposed to work out can't even she can't even talk to this person about how it's going either yeah. way and then but and 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 that's a that's a low point for her and then from there she gets kind of a long-term babysitting job with this woman named Kimberly who and this is a, this is another kind of I get another kind of racism in the book that's that that she talks about where this woman Kimberly just describes all black women as beautiful. I've read about like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at one point, if Emily just says, hey, like she's not like you don't you can just say <laughs> oh, that gosh. she's you can just say she's black without it being a whole thing. But this is like it's it's not in judgment of Kimberly. It's just if Emily explaining things and she even she even talks about how like being in a cross cultural relationship involves so much explaining of things. Yeah, for sure. And this is like she. And Obinze kind of a little like later in the book when they are back together and, and, and talking and fooling around again, they there's almost a sense of superiority that Obinze feels because they do have the shared cultural background and they still have stuff to talk about, you know? Oh, like, oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not all like ephemelu having to so so she's dating this guy named uh carl i think who his who his whole family is republican but they totally supported the civil rights movement and they're not that kind of republican you know <laughs> and there are there are these moments where carl totally gets it like where he's talking to his mom and his mom's trying to say like oh racism is over and then Carl says, well, if we were in this diner now and like 15 black people walked in, they would definitely get treated differently than like the current clientele. Thanks. And that's where that and that's where Carl sort of gets it. And then when he doesn't get it, he's looking at a at a magazine like made, you know, written for black women saying, you know, this is this is weird. Like there's there's all black women that feels kind of exclusionary. And uh, Ifemelu takes him down to the magazine rack and she's and she's saying, OK, look at all these magazines, <laughs> literally flip through every one of these magazines and tell me how many black people you see. And there's like oh four black people and they're all light skinned black people. <sighs> and she's saying, OK, look at all these makeup ads like there are no black skin tones there are no black hair tips. This one makeup ad has a generic sort of chocolate color that's supposed to cover everybody. And like that's progress. But still. Oh man, I think and that's it, where I mean the 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 book gets a lot into like different skin tones and and how light skinned people are up a rung on the ladder from dark skinned people and how like even though like Italians and Irish people got discriminated against earlier in America's history like they still got to be higher up on the ladder and Jewish people still got they got discriminated against but they were still higher up on the ladder and at least there's this, this implied jealousy about. Oh, they control everything. Oh, they're so clever. Like whatever. Like even even in the racism, the ways in which racism can still be hierarchical. Yeah, or yeah. like, or she talks about you know you the people who don't get to be in movies. Uh, she says you see in American pop culture, beautiful dark women are invisible. The other group, just as invisible, is Asian men. But at least they get to be super smart. 
In movies, dark black women get to be the fat, nice mammy or the strong, sassy, sometimes scary sidekick standing by supportively. They get to dish out wisdom and attitude while the white woman finds love, but they never get to be the hot woman, beautiful and desired and all. So dark black women hope Obama will change that. Oh, and dark black women are also for cleaning up Washington and getting out of Iraq and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, I like that. That's good. (laughs) Uh, I want to make sure we're dragging the right white guy. His name is Kurt, Andrew. Carl and Kurt, interchangeable. Oh, did I say names. Carl? Yeah, Kurt is what I meant. But yeah. it's, not, it's not important. <laughs> um, does that is that relationship with like Kimberly important in, in in terms of like who Kimberly is? Does it grow at all, or is that more of a like it's a, like they they become friends? Like they're friendly. It's it's not a thing where Adiche and Ifemalu both talk about like the ways in which race influences people's relationships without it always being like, oh, this person is is racist and I can't possibly be in the same room as them. Like she even talks about like somebody asked her if she liked watermelon and she said yes. And people were like, Why aren't you offended about that? Like there there are just things that mm. that American blacks are supposed to be offended by that non-american blacks don't intrinsically get like they kind of have to learn yeah because there's a whole history of of why those symbols are offensive and and where they came from and and if you don't grow up knowing that there's no way you're gonna know to be angry about it yeah and so so much of what adiche and and ifimalu talk about is observing racism without like necessarily indicting the people who are being racist it's it's Huh. There's a lot of there's a lot of like deep discussion of of issues while while also condemning the like the kind of coverage that I think we see a lot of where like oh racists are people too and they have families and like Nazis still shop at comic book stores and whatever yeah, garbage okay. that we see in, in mainstream media coverage like it's it, it's not letting people off the hook but it's also acknowledging the reality of like having to live in society with with people who just don't know any better or like who don't think about it because they don't have to think about it yeah i watched an interview with her where uh someone was someone said to her is like uh you once said race is america's original sin and her first response was i have i come up with good lines to say and don't know what to say afterwards (laughs) um and then she went on to talk about it being you know it, it is simultaneously the most one of the most important things to how this country functions and what its culture is and yet it is fundamentally the most uncomfortable subject of conversation and dialogue because well, again i mean and this and this comes up a lot in our current moment and this isn't this isn't something that um that Adiche says but in america right now people take more umbrage at being called racist than they do at actual racism. Yep. Yep. Which sucks. But like that is, that is part of what makes discussing racism with a lot of white people difficult. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because your because your natural impulse is to, is to become defensive and say, Oh, I'm not racism. I'm not racist. Like I don't mean anything in particular against any particular group of people, blah, blah, blah. And like, that might be, you might think that like, we might think that about ourselves even, but yeah. there's all kinds of subtle encoded stuff that we deal with all the time. And, and the thing that Adiche is really good at bringing out in this book is just talking about that stuff without, in a way that doesn't, in a way that encourages self-reflection, but like doesn't make you shut down, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. That's not an easy line to walk. I don't know. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, and so, and and like there are, so some of the like I'll just I'll just read a couple passages from yeah, the, from the book now is um talking that this is a blog post titled "Understanding America for the Non-American Black: A Few Explanations of What Things Really Mean." Um, she says diversity means different things to different folks. If a white person is saying a neighborhood is diverse, they mean 9% black people. The minute it gets to 10% black people, the white folks move out. If a black person says diverse neighborhood, they're thinking 40% black. Hmm. Um, but then also she talks about the distinction between American blacks and non-American blacks, which is to say African-Americans and people from Africa who have immigrated over 
you know, recently. Yes. Um, Dear non-American black, when you make the choice to come to America, you become black. Stop arguing. Saying I'm Jamaican or I'm... (laughs) Stop saying I'm Jamaican or I'm Ghanaian. America doesn't care. Um, Oh, gosh. You must nod back when a black person nods at you in a heavily white area. It is called the black nod. It is a way for black people to say, you are not alone. I am here too. In describing black women you admire, always use the word strong because it is what black pe- black women are supposed to be in America. If you are a woman, please do not speak your mind as you are used to doing in your country because in America, strong-minded black women are scary. And if you're a man, be hyper mellow. Never get too excited or somebody will worry that you're about to pull a gun. When you watch television and hear that a racist slur was used, you must immediately become offended even though you're thinking, but why won't they tell me exactly what was said? Even though you would like to be able to decide for yourself how offended to be or whether to be offended at all, you must nevertheless be very offended. Um, and then this whole, there, it, there's a lot more than that. And then sure. it ends in don't even bother telling a white conservative about anything racist that happened to you because the conservative will tell you that you are the real racist and your mouth will hang open in confusion. Oh, well, okay. Yep. Sounds good. That sounds accurate. <sighs> So just read the book. Like I know like our <laughs> our conversations don't always end with a reading recommendation or whatever, but like read the just read the book. Read this book. Go buy yeah. this book and read this book. Okay. Because it's like an in addition to all that stuff, it's just it's filled with she is God, she there are writers who I read who make me upset because I'm like, I would never write it that good. I would Mm. never do that good. You know, Mm. like people whose, whose talent you are so impressed by that you get kind of upset about. (laughs) I get that mad when I watch like tennis and not because I never be that good at tennis. Yeah. Not that I've ever, I mean, writing writing is kind of the thing that I like make a living doing. So like maybe don't compare your dumb tennis stuff to me, but most for me, it's mostly like a, like a age thing where it's like someone who athletes in general, where we are, the two of us are approaching that age. where like now all the talented people are, they're not older than us. Right. Oh yeah. No, we, we have, we have reached that point in our lives where, windows of opportunity are closing all the time instead of opening as they were 10 years ago yeah that's very that's a scary thing like she she she's talking about uh, her aunt who moved to america and is like so ifemalu is is young when she moves to america and she can sort of adapt but her aunt is you know her aunt is older and and is having a harder time assimilating she 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 is more outsider-y than sure. FM Lou is. And and she does not have a lot of money. She's working like three jobs to make ends meet. And um and DJ writes, at the grocery store, Auntie Uju never bought what she needed. Instead, she bought what was on sale and made herself need it. Hmm. Okay. Which is really, really true to the experience of being poor at the grocery store. Like regardless yeah. of of the race that you are, is it's it's a lot of looking at the ad before you go. And figuring out how you can use the things that are on sale to like feed yourself and your family. Yeah, can that get to, you through the week? Yeah. And yeah, as opposed to being like, oh, I would like Gouda cheese this week, and just going and buying the Gouda cheese, whatever the Gouda cheese costs. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, read this it's, book. It's it's really it's super thoughtful. I feel like a lot of my again a lot of the things that I liked about a lot of things that we've talked about are not like. I don't think they were they will be earth shattering realizations for a lot of people, but but no, but it's she's not... but but she's just, she's so good. She's telling the story that's about two people and their love, but also telling a story. And and you know we've talked mostly about the America bits, but there's stuff about Britain. There's stuff about Nigeria, both living there and then coming back to there. There's stuff about how transactional Nigeria is and how like people in Nigeria, rich people in Nigeria specifically, they want you to make stuff too expensive. Otherwise they won't buy it because it won't feel expensive enough. There's this whole thing like Obinze becomes a contractor and he's talking about how in America and other established cultures, like there's this, we got to this point where we had all this processed food and stuff like that we could mass produce and it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't give us a bunch of diseases and it would just be good. And now we've come back around to being like, Oh, we want to drink the milk like right from the cow because it's more (laughs) natural that way. 
um, and we want to we want to buy a like a refurbished two hundred year old house because of its history because our best days are behind us and we just want to look back while Nigeria like they we we want to have everything new because we feel like our best days are still ahead of us and like there's just all these really great little observations wrapped up in these conversations between a couple of people like taking place against yeah. the backdrop of their like relationship reforming after a couple of decades apart. It's just, it's, I, it, it's such a, it's not an easy read, but it's such a, a fast read. Cause I never stopped wanting to like read more of it. Mm, that's good. You know, it's, I, yeah, know. I hear that. No, I hear that. And there's way, there's so much more in the book that we can't, we couldn't possibly cover in the, in the space of an hour long book podcast, but. But I think this gives someone a sense if they like know who Adiche is through uh, interviews or essays, because uh, everyone should be a feminist, or um, why we should all be feminists was also then collected into like another series of essays. Um, so if folks are coming at her without having read this book. I think this is a decent primer for like how it weaves together a bunch of her like areas of scholarship. Yeah, definitely. Like feminism and, and race in America and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, race in America like the, through and through an immigrant perspective, which is very important. Yeah. Right. And, and also like talking about the way that different races, like, like you'd lump all black people together, but that's not how that's like, things are broken down into a bunch of different subsections, no matter like, no matter what. So there's not a single know, story. I, yeah, there's not and I and I won't say that I found the book instructive because it's not like the book didn't throw at me anything that I haven't read about as somebody who's like who like tries to be an ally and who tries to mm. get it. But also it just she is such a good writer that she is going to give you some stuff to chew on. Like this book is going to stick with me for a while. Good. And I'm right. going to be, I'm going to try to, I'm just, I don't know. Like this, she, she talks about, so here's a, it's, it's another blog post. And if I, if I feel like I'm bringing like the blog post sections of the book up a lot, I think it's just because that is where DJ distills a lot of her thoughts without having to like wrap them around the a narrative. <laughs> it is, it was smart of her to, to build this into the story so she could throw this stuff out. It's a resonance thing. To, Cause if, yeah, you've re yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're reading parts of the story, you're reading scenes, then it kind of bounces off the direct text that she's giving you. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the post begins, dear American non-black, if an American black person is telling you about an experience about being black, please do not eagerly bring up examples from your own life. Don't say it's just like when I dot, 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 you have suffered. Everyone in the world has suffered, but you have not suffered precisely because you're an American black. Don't be quick to find alternative explanations for what happened. Don't say, oh, it's not really race. It's class. Oh, it's not race. It's gender. Oh, it's not race. It's the cookie monster. You see, American blacks actually don't want it to be race. They would rather not have racist shit happen. So maybe when they say something is about race, it's maybe because it actually is. Don't say I'm colorblind because if you're colorblind, then you need to see a doctor. And it means that when a black man is shown on TV as a crime suspect in your neighborhood, all you see is a blurry, purplish, grayish, creamish figure. <laughs> Don't say we're tired of talking about race or the only race is the human race. American blacks, too, are tired of talking about race. They wish they didn't have to, but shit keeps happening. Don't preface your response with one of my best friends is black because it makes no difference and nobody cares. And you can have a black best friend and still do raise a shit. And it's probably not true anyway. The best part, not the friend part. Don't say your grandfather was Mexican so that you can't can't be racist. Please click here for more on there is no United League of the Oppressed. Don't bring up your Irish great grandparents suffering. Of course, they got a lot of shit from established America. So did the Italians. So did Eastern Europeans. But there was a hierarchy. A hundred years ago, the white ethnics hated being hated, but it was sort of tolerable because because at least black people were below them on the ladder. And it goes on for a little while. And um, and she says, so after this listing of don'ts, what's the do? I'm not sure. Try listening, maybe. Hear what is being said. And remember that it's not about you. American blacks are not telling you that you are to blame. They are just telling you what is. If you don't understand, ask questions. If you're uncomfortable about asking questions, say you're uncomfortable about asking questions and then ask anyway. It's easy to tell when a question is coming from a good place. Then listen some more. Sometimes people just want to feel heard. Uh, here's to possibilities of friendship and connection and understanding. I can drop that. Yeah, and and so that's that's like 
I think that's a place that we try to come from. And, and I mean, there's another bit in the book where it's like, yeah, things are better in America now, but you don't get a cookie for making nope. them better than, nope. <laughs> better than like literally owning people. So, yep. so try not to pat yourselves on the back too much, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's the that's the big. I think we go out on that one. A, from, yeah, I yeah. think going out on the do is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Anna, who recommended this book to us through our Patreon project, um, Andrew will tell you how to find out more about that in just a second. But folks have been hitting us up on social media in the past week, mostly because someone's been tweeting about Eagles. Um, they've been finding us at facebook.com slash overdue pod and twitter.com slash overdue pod. Uh, thank everyone, including Lee Calliope, Liz, Sean, Jay, Britt, Wendy, Megan, Karen, Christine, Melissa, Derek, Amy, Jocelyn, Tysephine, Amanda, Cheyenne, Dion, Lynn, Liam, Linda, and Becky, uh, and a few others that I did not write down. I apologize. Um, other folks can find us on email at overduepod at gmail.com. Andrew, tell me more. Tell us more about how to find out more about the show. You is. All right, go to overduepodcast.com because that's our internet website. Up there we have links to iTunes, Google Play, and RSS. Always you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because it makes us feel good and it helps that show rise in the rankings. That good old show. The thing we call show. Uh, <laughs> we also, as Craig said, have a Patreon project at patreon.com slash overduepod. If you are in the tier that gets a postcard, they're en route. They're en route. We finally did it, guys. They're coming at Mere, you. Merely one year after promising to do it, do we that? have done it. Because I just feel like if we lampshade our own inadequacies, it kind of makes them endearing and I not don't think that negligent. that's true. <laughs> anyway, okay. next week we're reading another book, Craig. What's that book? We Craig, are, what's that book? We are reading What is the Book? Uh, we're reading The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. That's the book we're reading. I'm reading like yeah. two books right now, so I got confused. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.